Kia ora koutou, I'm Tova O'Brien. Welcome back to the pod and welcome to Waitangi 2024. We're kicking off the year with a very special episode recorded here on location in Waitangi for the 184th anniversary of the signing of Te Tiriti o Waitangi. It's the first time the new government's attended Waitangi together. There's been an added level of anticipation given the strong, united voice we've heard from Māori about their views on the government's policy programme, particularly that Treaty Principles Bill and the relegation of Te Reo Māori. As we've seen and heard already this year at the Hui Amotu at Turanga Waiwai Marae at Ratana and again at the Iwi Chairs Forum in the lead up to Waitangi, Māori leaders' distrust of the government is at levels unseen since the foreshore and seabed legislation two decades ago. There's a common goal here, kotahitanga, unity, solidarity, togetherness. Coming up, we'll take you to Waitangi with us for commemorations on the day and some of the key moments in the lead-up, the powerful porphyry, the corridor protests, interviews with politicians and, and key people, Fano coming together, great food, great fun, but also the sounds and voices that set categorically the tone of discourse between Māori and the government this term. So here it is, the politicians and the people, the conflict and kotahitanga, this is Waitangi 24. Woohoo! We have just landed in Kerikeri. It is Sunday morning. The winterless north never fails to disappoint. It is stunning here. I'm with producer Chris. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Our plane was filled with holidaymakers, tourists, and people making the pilgrimage to Waitangi. And the action started before we had even left the airport. Um, so I've just run into Tamaiti. We're on the same flight from Auckland to yeah, yeah. Kirikiri. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, good, good, great. Uh, it's a nice day, beautiful day. Uh, great to be here in the northern part of the, uh, the Ikao Maui. Tamaiti mentioned he was glad the government was provoking debate. Do you think that David Seymour and the ACT Party, do you think that they are the right people to be leading the debate around the treaty principles? Uh, that's just a clown, you know, in the circus, you know, and uh, they're, only, uh, they're only a politician, they come every, every three years. Uh, for, for people like us and many other New Zealanders and many others there, we're, we're here, where life is real for us. And so um, it's the people that make the decision where we should go rather than individual member of a political party. And then I think that what we're doing tomorrow is trying to bring that about, to bring, bring that uh, together. It was pretty cagey about the art demonstration he had planned for the following morning, but we went along at dawn to find out. More on that later, but suffice to say it was incredibly moving. Pulling into Pai here now and up alongside Teti Marae, which has been the setting for so much of the debate and protest over the years. And it is busy here. More caravans, vans, buses, tents all along the road than I remember in recent years. And I'm told all the local Marae and Kura are completely full after a call went out for places to stay. The magnificent mainstays of Waitangi were all on display. Fano coming together, kids doing manus off the bridge. 
There was karaoke, stalls selling everything from tanifa burgers, mince and fried bread, to rongoa, traditional Māori healing. You can even get Ngāpuhi merch, drink bottles, hats, you name it. And of course, Ngāwaka. We found former Prime Minister, now leader of the OPPO, Chris Hipkins, paddling in. Well, this is, this is the paddle that I used last year, and uh, they kept it for me, gave it back to me again. And those teaching him actually seemed pretty impressed. I present the better Chris. <laughs> and Hipkins always up for sticking his oar in. Do you think that um, the Prime Minister would benefit from spending some time on one of the waka on the water? I think all, I think, I think all of the, the government would, would benefit from just spending some time here. It's not all been smooth sailing for the opposition here, though. Labour got its nose out of joint that Te Party Māori chose to be welcomed onto Waitangi separately from them and the Greens, saying they're stronger as one. Te Party Māori sees it differently. First and foremost, it's really important to remember that we're not a subset of Labour. Three years ago, Labour didn't want us. Um, and it's more important that we have the 100% mandate from our people. National and Labour didn't want us. We're the party nobody wants. In government, they don't want us. In opposition, they want to assimilate us. Standing with mana motuhake, we can just be us. Under the previous Labour government, all political parties, no matter their stripe, came onto Waitangi together. This year, the Waitangi National Trust said the government parties didn't want to be welcomed on with the opposition. New Zealand First Shane Jones had apparently kicked up a bit of a stink. Why not go on with Labour and the Greens, as has been the case in previous Oh, so historically, that's what happened. There was a poor hitty for Helen Clark and the opposition, yeah. and there was a poor hitty for the crowd. And um, when my views were sought, I like it the way we're going to do it, uh, to ensure that there's a clear line of sight. But no one thought to tell the Prime Minister, the boss of the coalition. Uh, no, the, the Waitangi Trust make the protocol. Well, sure, after being asked to change the protocols by Jonesy, but that's neither here nor there. And it left Labour and the Greens to go on together the day before. Let's rewind. Ngāpuhi academic Kone Sadler challenging the opposition to join the fight that is upon them all. A challenge gladly accepted by Labour's Penny Henare. We have heard the sound of the bugle to come together, he said, adding metaphorically, I will lift my gun, aim it at the enemy and let the shots do the talking. It didn't end there. Labour MPs referred to the government as spiders, a den of lions, a three-headed tanifa. Then separately, the following day, Sunday, Te Pāti Māori arrived with the Kingitanga. An incredible show of force from Te Ao Māori. Following the call from Kingituhaitia, Māori leaders from all corners of the country were welcomed together with a joint message. We will unite and we will fight. The Treaty Principles Bill and its architect in their sights. What Seymour is doing is wrong, they said. Monday morning, it's dawn and it's crisp. 
We're on the grounds of Te Timarai down the road and across the bridge from the sacred treaty grounds. It's that magical time when it's both day and night, the crescent moon and stars sitting alongside the blue, pink and orange of the rising sun. And there are hundreds of people dressed in white, holding long bamboo shoots tied with white flags. They're here gathering with Tama Iti. Can you tell us more about the, the kaupapa of this morning? Well, the part of the kaupapa really just to bring the people down here today is to have an experience coming to Waitangi. They've never been to Waitangi before. And they don't know. It's about bringing people to have some understanding. It's the new beginning. The hikoi made its way to the treaty grounds, an incredibly moving piece of living art. Daylight now and we're wandering back down to the grounds below to visit the forum tent. This is where ideas are thrashed about in the run-up to Waitangi Day. Shane Jones was there with Nationals Tama Portaka being grilled. And if we think that it's only Māori that are doing it tough, it's only Māori that are doing it tough, then if we think it's only Māori doing it tough, I think we've forgotten part of the kotahitanga that we well amplify up on the marae. Pulling Jones aside afterwards, the morning after his infamous annual Waitangi party. How was last night? Uh, my wife made me keep uh, very uh, moderate and uh, sober, so I feel all right. We asked if there was anything, anything anyone could say or do at Waitangi that would make the government wind back the policies people are finding so divisive. But I would just uh, ask people to sort of take a bit of the steam out of the hangi and um, see where that goes, but to the best of my knowledge, it's not going to have enough votes to go any further than where it's, in, it's likely to end up. Would you ever vote for it, for a referendum on the treaty principles? No, that's not in our referendum. Please read my lips. That is not in our coalition, and that is not what we campaign for. We did campaign on things that are slightly controversial in the sense of doing a root and branch analysis of all the reference to the to the treaty principles, and that is somewhat more disparate than a singular bill. And there's no way that you would renege on that policy or wind it back before it gets to the those legislative stages. No, any 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 um, any stance that uh, departs from the coalition agreement or any refinement of the coalition agreement would involve all the parties who have signed up to the coalition agreement. I think you can see from Winston Peters how defensive he is about the coalition agreement, as with the recent issue over the 500 police. Fulsome, but not for long. He didn't stick around to answer this. When are you going to take over the leadership of New Zealand First? At that point, Jones retired to the Copland. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. On Act's Treaty Principles Bill, a full backdown is being called for. Here's Waitangi National Trust Chair Peter Tipene. Tangibly, would you like to hear the Prime Minister actually killing the Treaty Principles Bill in its in its tracks? Yes. What would happen to the Coalition Government if the Prime Minister did that? Well, that's to be determined, but certainly so far everyone in the coalition is honouring all their commitments and uh, if we find that commitments aren't being honoured, then that's uncharted territory. I don't think anyone wants to go there and that's why we've got a tight coalition that's honouring all its commitments. Could we see the collapse of the government if the Treaty Principles Bill was killed? Well, put it this way, 
Um, we are all working together for a better New Zealand, which requires honouring our commitments to each other. So, like I say, it's uncharted territory. I'm not going to speculate. Was, was there nothing else during the negotiation negotiating process? Was there nothing else that Christopher Luxon could have offered you instead of the treaty principles? Bill. Was that an absolute bottom line view, or you weren't going to go into government with them? New Zealand cannot continue and flourish so long as some citizens are in partnership with the Crown and others have a different status. That is totally incompatible with liberal democracy as practiced all around the world, and it's been a disaster. So sorry, the answer to my question was: Was there nothing else he could have offered you? I think I just answered how important. The Prime Minister well and truly made this bed, so he's determined, or at least forced, to lie in it. Ngāpuhi wants you to kill the Treaty Principles Bill in its tracks, will you? Well, again, our position's well established on that. You know, as you know, there is no support, no commitment, no intention to take it beyond that. You know, it's kill it a now, then. Kill it, kill it now. A long-standing commitment of the National Party not to pursue uh, a referendum at all. I, I think Christopher Luxon could bring an end to a lot of the divisiveness right now if he showed a bit of leadership. If he, and and him, bring the government well, down. Well, but him saying that, oh, actually, we don't support this, we're not going to support this, when it's a government piece of legislation that he has signed up to supporting... I think is disingenuous. And if the coalition agreement crumbles, the government, the, the government could potentially crumble too. Well, ultimately, that's that's his job. His job as Prime Minister is to make sure that he is holding the government together. He signed up to these policies, which he's now saying he doesn't support. So there isn't really any chance the bill will be killed, no matter how loud the chorus against it. In which case, Te Party Māori has another plan. John Tamahere. Well, we've only got one um, option when that bill uh, is tabled, you know, and that, that is we have to rise up against it with everything we've got. A message the government will no doubt be hearing on the Pai Pai. And on that, not long to go now, and it feels, feels really busy up here. And teeming, teeming with police. Kia ora. if you could um, just start by giving me your name and rank, please. Uh, kia ora, Dion Bennett, Inspector, um, District Commander, Northland. Thank you very much. But we learnt that security this year is actually about the same as in previous years. Uh, the presence around the Prime Minister is the same as in previous years. Probably the thing that um, people have noticed is a slightly higher visibility um, with our staff, particularly our Protection Services staff. Obviously the um, lead-up to Waitangi. Uh, has been exciting. Our role here is to ensure that everyone who attends Waitangi is safe. Our intent is to ensure that iwi and government can celebrate Waitangi in the manner that it's meant to be celebrated in. In the lead-up to the government porphyry, the packed crowd shuffles into position along the low rope set up to mark the area and back behind the Māori wardens. The treaty grounds, Ngāpuhi, Ngāiwi katoa, were ready. Alongside Busby House, the Prime Minister and his deputies, Winston Peters and David Seymour, moved slowly onto Waitangi. The challenges began. Wedor laid down first for Christopher Luxon, then for Peters, and finally for David Seymour, a very different kind of Wedor lasting far longer and a wall of warriors making the challenge rather than just the one.
Then, as the speeches began, Waiata was used to send a message that the views being expressed by the government were not shared. Act's Nicole McKee was the first to have her speech cut short by song and chants of enoho, sit down. On the other hand, New Zealand First's Shane Jones, who was next to speak from the government side, was honoured by a striking haka. The pendulum swung back like a cannonball when Hone Harawera suddenly walked up to the taumata, straight out of left field, and let rip at the government. And you want to gut the treaty in front of all of these people? Hell no! Singling out David Seymour and his treaty principles bill. You and your shitty-ass bill are going down the toilet. Unlike McKee, the only thing drowning Harawera out were cheers and applause. It was perhaps no surprise then that the next speaker, Winston Peters, came out swinging. His first punch, a classic Peters move, present a kind of bored indifference to undermine your opponent. This is very, very brief because we have another appointment with a number of ambassadors from overseas. Then, like one of those magic grow toys, just to add water and they grow into something far bigger than you expect, with every heckle, Peters grew louder, fiercer, more determined. Whoever said we're getting rid of the Treaty of Waitangi? Tell me. No, we didn't. You tell me whoever said we're getting rid of the Treaty of Waitangi. So stop the crap. Stop the nonsense. Stop the hysteria. Let me tell you, sunshine. I used to go to the Marae where they had a thing called tikanga and protocol and respect and not you shouting. See what I mean? Get an education. Get some in. You have plenty of time. And with that, mic drop. Peter stormed off down a side exit, thronged by security and police, rushing, presumably, to meet all those ambassadors. Minister, why was that the right approach? Minister, Minister, why was that the right approach today? Crickets. Literally. The dial had been sufficiently turned up just in time for the next government speaker, David Seymour. And Seymour dropped the, the statesmanly visage he's been cultivating recently. He hit back at the very pointed criticism that he and his government colleagues are facing. Today I've heard people say that we are spiders on the side, that we are sandflies. Well, I'm sorry to say, folks, not even Donald Trump is calling his opponents insects yet. Like his colleague McKee before him, Seymour's speech was drowned out by Waiata, telling him to whakarongo, to listen. Those debates will continue. Our treaty will have partnership, not just for some people. But unlike McKee, Seymour, well, he just turned the volume up and kept on keeping on. And you can sing, and you can sing, and yet... You're not going to beat an idea by singing any more than you're going to beat an idea with a gun. There's people up and down the country watching you and they're asking, why do those people have a right to stop the rest of New Zealand debating its own future? 
And after the reception he received, there was a suggestion the Prime Minister's speech could be called off completely. I don't think they're going to ask the Prime Minister to speak. Oh. Are you going to make your mind up? Do you want to hear him or you don't? In the end, it was a yes, and as it happened, there wasn't much to get too rocked up about anyway. The treaty is our past, it's our present, and it's our future. It has shaped the country we have become, and the obligations it imposes on both sides will always be with us. However, we must aspire to go forward not as two sides, but together as New Zealanders, because there is more that unites us than divides us. Christopher Luxon opted for about the most pedestrian, beige, vanilla, middle-of-the-road approach you could possibly take, which may sound like a criticism. But after his deputy prime ministers had let rip, Luxon's speech actually landed about right and seemed the appropriate approach to take. But Waitangi Trust Chair Peter Tipene made a good point too. I would have liked a little bit more of a free-flowing, interactive discussion. But I've just got to remember that this is the first time that we've engaged with a new government. Uh, and so people are approaching it with a little bit of trepidation. Yeah, let's grow it next year. I wanted more of a focus on Te Tiriti or Waitangi and He Whakaputanga, uh, from the Prime Minister in particular. Here are the speeches summed up by Ben Dalton, the Waitangi Trust CEO. Well, in summary, I would say we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, we're not speaking the same language just yet. Here's Tipine again on the Waiata sung over ACT's speeches. I thought it was very unfair. Yeah, and, and, and we should have done more. Uh, it's my apologies to them both, uh, and for Nicole for that matter, for not shutting that down earlier to give them the space and the time to articulate themselves clearly. And on Peters. Can I get your assessment on Winston Peters' approach today? I thought it was combative. Um, and one, once you get uh, and start using provocative language uh, and you start off with an uppercut, you're eventually going to get one back. As Prime Minister and as leader of the coalition, were you proud of the way that your coalition partners, your deputy prime ministers, conducted themselves on the Manai today? Well, they were they were there uh, speaking as they were invited to do so, and they're free to speak as they, as they wish. As and Prime Minister, up, as coalition leader, were decision. you proud of the way they conducted well, themselves you, on the Manai? As you know, we're in a coalition government. Uh, we don't all sound the same. We don't all say the same. You're allowed to have an opinion. Yeah, I'm giving you my opinion, which is which is that we don't say it the same. We won't be the same, and we will say things differently. And we actually have enough space to be able to do that. Do what we're aligned around is actually the core things about actually how we improve this country and that's actually what a lot of our conversation with EB leaders has been about as well. And as for the porphyry itself and the wero laid down to the government... I thought it was incredibly impressive, incredibly impressive, and I took a lot from it. How did you receive that wero from the um, haka porphyry today? Because yours was distinctly different from the, the wero that was laid down for the Prime Minister and Winston Peters. Yeah, it was pretty fiery and... Um, Far out, those guys really gave it heaps, but at the end of the day, that's the way it works uh, in that particular part of the culture. And I was really honoured to be a part of it, and uh, they're signalling me out for special attention. I'll give as good as I get. And he sure got given good. Um, so, uh, Padre, if you could just spell your name for me P A D R E. And your surname? Brown. Brown. And Padre is one of the leaders of the Hakaporfidi. Today, it felt like the wedding for David Seymour was different from the wedding that went down for the Prime Minister and for the Deputy Prime Minister. Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, there is 
a very, I guess, obvious assessment, yes. <laughs> um, and th- there's many factors, as you well know, why that is. Um, and just uh, for a bit of context, within our ropu, within our group that did the haka porphyry, are representatives from every every hapu, every iwi in the country. It, it wasn't just Ngāpuhi, they ran the porphyry. Um, and there was sort of a bit of a stance of solidarity to show our position and our views on the party's policies. The group say they're an extension of the Tomata elders, that they're the hands. They do whatever they're asked on the marae. And whether you love or loathe what was being said on the pai pai, one thing that all the speakers should be respected for, left, right, whatever, they were all unapologetically themselves. No one will die wondering what the speakers at Waitangi 2024 were thinking. For the government parties, whether you voted for them or perhaps lean more towards those calling them a three-headed tanifa, that was them, exactly as they are, perfectly representing and talking to their individual policies and constituencies. Sure, they don't tessellate, but they fit. And after the enormous challenge they were presented with at Waitangi, they showed they can make it work. Peter Tipene with the last word for the day. I think there has been progress. Um, it may be glacial, and saying that glaciers are quite fast these days. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think there has been some progress. And we're we're hearing that we have got a problem and let's get down and have some earnest discussions. Dawn, Waitangi Day. And as the crowds gathered for the 5am service in what felt like enormous numbers, Peter Tipene again with the first word. It is my honour and privilege to welcome you all to this, the special National Day, 6th of February 2024. The name of this actual part of Waitangi is Ruarangi, this flat where the the Treaty of Waitangi was signed. Uh, there are different interpretations of Ruarangi. One of those interpretations, literally, uh, two skies. But it also means the horizon. It's the meeting of land with the sky. And as we all know, the horizon moves. I think it's a very good analogy for Te Treaty or Waitangi. I think we really have to learn the context of Te Tiriti o Waitangi along with Epakaputanga, the Declaration of Independence, 28 October 1835. Because what this is all about is learning about our history to move forward. Personal relationships are very, very important. And over the last few days, I have come to know people much, much better when we learn to live with each other and our personal circumstances, I think we can all move forward too. So we're moving forward as a nation, but we're moving forward as individuals learning from each other.
As the sun began its ascent over another perfect morning, among the wieter and the personal, sometimes very moving, entreaties for hope and positivity, the politicians had one more chance to choose some words that, to them, encapsulated the spirit of the day. Christopher Luxon. I'd like to share a reading from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, that I think speaks to unity very well. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Chris Hipkins. Let it be our guide to navigating our challenges in partnership. Let us be inspired by the courage and the vision shown by the rangatira who signed it. Let us increase our trust in one another and our respect and understanding for each other. Let us earn the wisdom that can only come from listening to each other. Let the treaty bind us together as we work towards a fairer Aotearoa in which all of our people can flourish and prosper. On this Waitangi dawn, prepare us once more for what lies ahead. Inspire us to be kind, to be compassionate, to be grateful, to do good. David Seymour. Morena Tato, let us pray. Let us pray for all New Zealand, those who have more yesterdays than tomorrows, and those just starting out on life's journey, those whose people have been here for nearly a thousand years, and those who will arrive at Auckland Airport this morning to begin their time as New Zealanders. And for the final time at Waitangi as Green Party co-leader, James Shaw, quoting romantic tearjerker The Notebook. Uh, so inspired was I uh, by the sermon uh, that we had uh, earlier, uh, I thought I would read you uh, an additional note which came to mind. Uh, and it's uh, a love story uh, between two people, but it could easily be said between two peoples. I love you. I am who I am because of you. You are every reason, every hope, and every dream I have ever had. And no matter what happens to us in the future, every day that we are together is the greatest day of my life. I will always be yours. I am who I am because of you. In recent years, after the dawn service, the former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern created a new Waitangi Day tradition, putting on a massive barbecue for the crowds, bacon, eggs, sausages, the works. And even though she'd often try to get out of speaking to the media, Ardern would eventually succumb to a quick media conference as well. This year, no dice. Christopher Luxon refused to speak to the public on our national day and refused to budge when we pushed back. So at the time of recording this, the Prime Minister hadn't even issued any public statement about King Charles's cancer diagnosis beyond a quick tweet. No surprises, the Leader of the Opposition was happy to step into the breach. 
on behalf of all Kiwis, we wish Prince Charles, you know, well with his um, health issues. A lot of Kiwis will um, have people who they know or in their extended family who have suffered from cancer. It's a pretty uncertain time while you're getting to grips with that, and I think um, we wish him well. King Charles rather than Prince Charles, but the sentiment remains. Every year, a hikoi sets off from Cape Reinga, gathering steam along the way. In recent years, the numbers had dwindled, but this year, reinvigorated, it was the biggest turnout in a long while. Hundreds marching to the grounds, their message to honour the treaty. Toitu Tetriti. I have been um, I've been really looking forward to this moment. We are breaking down what went went down here on Waitangi Day and in the lead up with two of the very best in the biz, broadcasting legend Julian Wilcox and fellow legend of journalism, Annabelle Lee Mather. And they both also happen to be uh, co-host of my my two favourite political podcasts, Gone by Lunchtime and Caucus, Kioring Mahinui Kiakorua. Um, and I should point out as well that we were meant to be doing this all in person, but so if people think this sounds a bit weird, it's because I've been sitting in traffic for about three hours because Waitangi <laughs> is heaving. So I'm in the car, Jules is up on the treaty grounds, Annabelle's gone down to find a, a quieter spot at the, the Copthorne. Um, guys, I want to start, if, if we can, with how you will remember Waitangi 2024. And Annabelle, I'll, I'll kick it off with you, please. Um, I think it's really been a remarkable demonstration of Tiratanga, Man Motuhake and Kotahitanga. Um, you could say uh, the embodiment of Newton's third law for every action there's an op- uh, equal and opposite reaction. You know, the political commentary around the treaty um, over the last few months has been quite negative and divisive and Māori have responded with unity and positivity. And Julian, what about for you? The big, the big takeaway. How you remember Waitangi? Look, I agree with everything Annabelle just said, but I don't want to repeat it. So what I will say is that there are so many people here. The the crowd is bigger than I anticipated that it would be, and the biggest crowd I've seen in actually a long time. I think there were some people who thought that this might be really challenging and actually, you know, we might see things unsavory things we didn't want to see, and that has not happened. I think partly that shoot to what happened with the panels two weeks ago, where Māori had very clear messages developed over two weeks, and they delivered those messages directly to the government. And what we've seen in return is, particularly in one instance, a pre-written speech that actually echoed messages from last year and not listened to the challenges and the questions that were raised directly with the Crown. And as a result, I think Mauritium is going to now go on and continue to find a pathway to unity and how to put that into action. And that's exciting, but I think it's a missed opportunity from the Crown to respond directly to what was raised with them. And, that, and that's, of course, a reference to the Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon's speech, and Peter Tipene as well, the, the chair of the Waitangi National Trust, saying he would have preferred that that, fleet, that speech was more free-flowing and kind of addressing some of the things that were actually being raised by people here at Waitangi. We'll talk more about the speeches in a, in a tick, but one, one of the major takeaways from all of the hui we've seen 
this year from um, Hui Amotu at Turanga Waiwai Marae, then at Ratana, and again now here at Waitangi, and, and at the Iwi Chairs Forum in the lead up to Waitangi as well. Is, Kotahitanga, and a lot of people saying and thanking David Seymour perversely for um, for uniting Māori. How important and how striking, you mentioned it before Annabelle, but how important and how striking has, has that been? Um, well, I, I think for me, probably the, the first example of, of how how committed um, people are to te ao Māori is to unity was the inclusion and the attendance and coming together of Ngāti Whātua, Ōrāke and Waikato at the Hui Aumotu. Um, you know, we all know that there has been incredible strain in the, in the relationship between those two um, iwi as a result of the Crown settlement process across claims in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, so I think that was the first example and this was an, a continuation of it, you know, to, for the Kingitanga um, to come to Waitangi, a huge ope, um, um, and for the King Speaker to have a place on the Pai Pai, again, another striking example. And there's more to come. There's going to be a follow-up hui in uh, the East Coast to Tairawhiti and um, with my people down in Laitahu and Te Waipaunamu. So I think, um, you know, it's... It's so um, true of the, the Māori spirit that um, that when faced with um, enormous challenge, um, our people rise up as one to meet. And, um, you know, I felt really proud over the last few days about how remarkable this hui has been. Yeah, I'll bet. And what do you think, Julian, the government should be reading into that kotahitanga, the manamotuhake, the tenoranga tiratanga that Annabelle mentioned earlier? What should they be reading into that and how, in terms of how it's going to define that Crown Māori relationship over the next few years? Over this Look term? out. Look mm. out. Uh, the ball has started, well and truly started rolling here. And Māori Dama are going to keep going. As Annabelle said, uh, there, I think there will be a hui in Naito. She's absolutely right. I think there's another one potentially looking at the end of March in Tarawa, and she said to Tairawhiti, this ball is now not going to be rolled back. Māori Dama are going to try and find ways to really action the unity the Kotahi Tanga call they actually talked about. When we talk about that, what does that actually mean? When well, we saw an expression of that, as Annabelle talked about, in places like the Pōwhiri to the Kiwita and indeed the Pōwhiri to the crowd um, mm. yesterday. This really happens. Uh, and that's not to say that the government will have pain over the next three years. That is to say that Māori Dama are going to move whether the Crown wants it to happen or not. The Crown therefore has the ability to be able to ride with Māori on this or it can choose to turn away. If it turns away, then I think it's got some real issues on its hands over the next couple of years. And what the other thing I think that I will say is that look out between the combined power of Māori, not just commercially, when we think about commercial assets between all the iwi and their commercial entities, look out about the political power. We, I think, will see a shift you see that in the military that came on yesterday. We're seeing a political shift as well, away from a focus on political parties, much more to cope with the Māori and the Wales reaction was. That's why I say, look out. I and do, do you think the I government? I do wonder if um, I do wonder if perhaps ex strategists 
uh, reflecting on their decision to launch a, a, full, a full frontal offence on the treaty and whether or not that's wise and is serving them well. And if, in fact, they may, may have been better off taking a more discreet approach and just sort of um, uh, w working quietly to, uh, you know, at a local, you know, in terms of like local government and deregulation in the RMA instead of coming out against Māori because I think, you know, as Julian mentions, you know, the political influence of Māori now, the economic influence um, and resource of, of Māori means that they've, they've picked a very big fight and I think potentially they may not, they may have underestimated quite how big that fight was going to be. Such a good point. And also a lot of the votes that I think New Zealand First would be more successfully bagging anyway than probably the ACT Party on some of these issues and maybe speaks as well to a, a failure of um, of good negotiating by the Prime Minister as well. He could have given David Seymour, you know, anything else rather than this and just recognise how divisive it would have been. Do you think, do you think Annabelle, that the government has been listening to those messages that Julia mentioned before, or, or is it turning its back? How do you think it, it, it received what it was hearing from Te Ao Māori at Waitangi? I think it is... I mean, this is a very new government, obviously, with a very, very new to politics Prime Minister. And so, you know, most people who find himself in, in his position, you know, coming to to uh, the north to listen to the, the take that are laid down on the pi-fi here, they, they're usually kind of seasoned political uh, leaders who have, you know, done their time in Parliament and then become Prime Ministers. So uh, I think this is a, a probably an example of of how green Luxon still is, that he has not been able to respond on the hop, uh, on the fly to the, the issues and the, the, the takia that are being laid down. Um, I, I think that he probably is hearing but is not equipped to respond uh, in the way that um, people here may expect. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been criticism of his speech and I can't help but think that perhaps some of his um, speech writers and advisors um, could have uh, given him a better steer. Chat, chat GPT was one um, thing we overheard on the treaty grounds <laughs> yesterday as the, the writer of the Prime Minister's speech. Jules, what did you think of um, the other government leaders' speeches? What did you think of Winston Peters and, and David Seymour and the approach that they, they took respectively? I kind of wasn't surprised, to be honest with you, because they're playing to our particular base, right? I mean, Winston mm. being very direct and, let's be honest, patronising, saying, go get an education, look here, Sonny, all that kind of stuff. Now, sometimes we expect that. But Winston is actually respected on this marae. The last time Winston actually spoke on this marae, he received applause. Mm. This year, he faced criticism, and his direct response was, I'm going to go these protesters, and in particular the young protesters that were there. And maybe we should have expected that. To be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised that he took that direct approach. The second one, obviously, was David Seymour, and he was always going to have a hard time. I mean, everyone saw the widow, and there were eight Kaimatataki standing in front of him as he picked up the widow before the Tohiri <laughs> yesterday. And again, he responded, I think, in kind, particularly after what happened to one of his ministers on the Maho when she tried to speak in Māori and was essentially 
sundown. Now, that was always going to happen as a part of the Tikola here, particularly given as, you know, Abel talked about the way in which they've let out one of their key policies here, when we could have focused on other issues, as Hone Harawira eruditely talked about yesterday on the marae. Um, the interesting thing for me was, though, is that they're, they're playing to a base there's an opportunity to be diplomatic and ambassadorial, and maybe they thought they didn't have the fullest opportunity to be able to do that, or maybe they thought, I'm playing to my base, let's be really direct, because it'll play to our people, it'll play to our supporters, and potentially national supporters who might be disaffected by a prime minister who, let's be honest, was less than aspirational in his own presentation and, and Annabelle, can we pick up on that point as well about Nicole McKee and David Seymour? They were both, um, I mean, effectively had their speeches shut down by by Waiata. Peter Tipene has apologised to ACT for that. He said it was unfair. Do you agree? Look, um, our pie pie, uh, our debating chamber, mm. um, and if you tune into Parliament TV at about 2 o'clock on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, you'll see some pretty hair-raising stuff going on um, in Parliament as our politicians rip into each other and point of order each other and all of that sort of carry on. Um, I think that um, for our wahine to get up, and sing essentially, you know, the national anthem of Ngāpuhi to Nicole McKee, who is Ngāpuhi, um, as a way of, of uh, closing her down. Man, what a um, what a respectful way to and Māori way to um, express your disagreement um, to the issues that were being raised. So I don't think that um, there's anything to apologise for. Um, you know, Māori go to Parliament, they have to learn points of order and the tikanga of that whare. And likewise, um, politicians that come on to, you know, that go on to pai pai around the motu, you need to skill yourself up on the tikanga and um, and be prepared for a bit of argy-bargy. And if getting a waiata is the worst thing that happens to you, <laughs> you should be very, very grateful. Yeah, <laughs> to- a lot totally. Worse. I, from a Pākehā outsider perspective as well, um, and having seen other other forms of protest, and, and all of them speak to dif- different strengths, um, I thought it was a really moving way of expressing dissent to some of what the government was um, some of what the government was saying on the pi pi. Um, I reckon we- nobody nobody would agree more than Stephen Joyce would be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> hard agree, hard agree. Though I did overhear um, a few more times than once uh, the, the lamentations of the absence of projectiles at this year's Waitangi. Could we wrap, guys, with one moment from each of you that you want to kind of pull out and focus on and, and mark as particularly significant and and why? I'll start with you, Jules. Uh, a moment for me was there were some moving things that happened. One in particular was a number of people bringing Moana Jackson's Kawamate to Waitangi, a man who inspired uh, a whole generation of not just Māori academics, but people who learned, who taught, who spoke about the Tiriti or Waitangi. To be here for that, but to also recall people like my own uncle, Patu Hoepa Mukapuru, who carried the Pōwhakaero during the Land March in 1975 with his mother-in-law with him, Finakupa. Those names kept coming up. And you can't help but have a little bit of a tangi for those people because they're not here anymore. And I just felt at times, I actually think that generation of people who led us, who were our role models, who were exemplars, I actually think they'd be pretty chuffed and proud about what happened here at Waitangi this year. And I certainly hope hand on heart that's how they feel about it. 
yeah, the the wider was strong. And and what about for you? What about for you, Annabelle? What's one one moment you want to pull out? And oh, part, just, just picking up on 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 what Jules said about Moana Jackson. You know, listening to the corridor um, on the pipe yesterday about him and reflecting on his words about how the treaty was a remarkable document because it it gave um, Pakeha the right to to make a home here in New Zealand. And um, but it was never intended to be at the expense of Maori, and that really Maori homelessness began with the treaty. So I thought it was quite poignant when this morning I was walking through the tents, I saw the amazing um, home expo that had been set up here to help um, help Maori to understand and navigate the process of um, setting up Papa Kainga on their own whenua, um, so that. You know, that for me was a, a beautiful moment. But also um, Annette Sykes, you know, Annette standing on the pipe yesterday. I thought of all the speakers, her, her kōrero had the most kiko. You know, she gave a powerful and remarkable speech. And it was a reminder of the important role that our wahine play um, politically and, and in these forums and um, and I thought back to the wahine that were here at Waitangi 184 years ago who signed on behalf of their iwi. What a, a special and unique um, mana our wahine have. So those are some for me. Guys, thank you so, so, so much for taking time and sorry we mucked you around and that I couldn't see you in person to do this, but always wonderful to speak to you both. Kia ora. And that is nearly a wrap. Producer Chris and I are driving, rather crawling, back to Kirikiri Airport after an incredible Waitangi day and lead up. I've been coming to Waitangi most years for over a decade and it is, I think, something that every New Zealander should do or visitor to our country should do at least once if they can and if you do do it once it probably won't be the only time because you'll want to come back year on year and do you think that's fair producer Chris because this is your first Waitangi day at Waitangi yeah I've broken the duck you're going to be back uh most definitely I've found it's been a profoundly moving experience for me I've found it so enlightening and encouraging one of the last images for me will be some of the younger people that were involved in the wero for the party leaders when they came on to to fare runanga and um the the passion for their people the passion for their for te ao maori you know that was evident in the expression the intensity on their faces and while there is that passion and intensity for their culture and their lives and their tradition and their whakapapa and all the rest of it, I feel quite positive that New Zealand will find a way. That is beautiful. When New Zealand will find a way, I hope so. And um, I think the, the points that we heard from our panellists there as well about sometimes feeling like progress is me, but actually the kotahitanga, the manamotahake, the tenoranga tiratanga that we've seen from Te Ao Māori this year and um, in the latter parts of last year as well, galvanised against some of these policies that they see as divisive from this government, um, how striking and important that, that's, been, that's been for Māori. Um, you should tell our listeners though, Chris, that you know some of our Waitangi Day has been a particularly unique experience and part of the reason you're going to need to come back is that actually 
we've been sweating it out and eating our final rations of Wakachangi, um not sponsored salt and vinegar chips in the car. Yeah, it's, we didn't get to do quite as much as we wanted to do today. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. And indicative, isn't it, of just how heaving and how busy Waitangi is this year. I've been stuck in traffic many, many times here um, over Waitangi spanning a decade plus. Um, but this feels particularly busy and we've heard that from everyone we've spoken to. You know, this has been the busiest Waitangi in a very, very long time. And today's not the political day, so it's busier than ever, and this has got nothing to do with the politicians. As Kingi Taurua, um, who is one of the Ngāpui elders, who used to speak to us at Waitangi Moimara, uh, he used to always say they were like, the politicians were like seagulls who came in, shat all over the place once a year, <laughs> and then flew out again. Um, so the people who are coming to Waitangi today, it is not about that at all. It is about celebrating and commemorating our, our national Isn't day. It's amazing that so many people want to be in the birthplace of modern Aotearoa, it's, it's, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. It truly is, and we heard, I think it was in one of Mikey Sherman's stories as well, um, a little kid just saying, there's so many Māori in one place, and this young Māori boy, and it's awesome, it is like, it is an enormous display of kōtahitanga, um, so with that, with that, on that happy note, happy Waitangi Day Chris. And to you too, and uh, see you in the studio next week. And in the car for the next couple of hours. <laughs> You've been listening to Tova, hosted and produced by me, Tova O'Brien. We will be back in the studio and back to Thursday episodes next week. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest show automatically and keep an eye on the feed for bonus shortcasts. You can also listen at stuff.co.nz forward slash Tova. And I want to hear from you as well. So flick us an email, Tova at stuff.co.nz. Thank you very much to audio editor extraordinaire Connor Scott. Paul Connor had to stay behind in Te Whanganui Atara, but we will take him something back, um, a special a special something, which we haven't yet got, producer Chris, but we will take him back, something special. Tanifar Burger. A cold Tanifar Burger back for Connor. Um, also massive thank you to executive producer Chris Reid, and you're not really supposed to uh, lift the curtain on these things. The podcast is supposed to sound easy, breezy, effortless. I woke up like this, um, but it has been a Herculean effort and a really quick turnaround this week, so extra special thanks to Connor and Chris. Kia ora kōrua. Thank you too to everyone who welcomed us into their lives over the weekend, and thank you to you for listening to our first show of 2024. A week is a long time in politics. Anything could happen, it often does, and as ever, we got you. Kakite. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.